This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. This is a podcast about two things. Helping those with urgent needs in front of us today and improving the road so others can walk it safely in the future. Welcome to The Better Samaritan, a podcast where we're learning how to do good better. I'm Kent Annan, co-director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College, and I'm joined by my colleagues Jamie Aiton and Laura Finch to explore how we can more effectively love our neighbors from everyday acts of kindness to the most complex humanitarian challenges facing the church and society today. As we've talked with these dozen humanitarian and disaster leaders from around the world, we've been asking these five questions to all of them to see what themes come up, what can we learn from them on top of their unique stories. And in this episode, we're looking at the question, how have you been learning to do good better in your work? And you know, in a sense, that's a theme of all the work that we do, all the conversations that we're having. But in this, we thought really like focus down to see what their answers are, and you'll get a wide range of answers here that I hope are stimulating for you on boundaries, on reading, on um, how do you deal with the difficult parts of your work and, and how does that turn into learning? How do we be vulnerable in this? So I hope you're encouraged as I am as you step into this and think about how others are learning to do good better and how you can keep learning to do better in joyful and meaningful ways too. Peniel Joseph is an American scholar, teacher, and leading public voice on race issues. Well, I think that part of this, and I think the, the great part of the Good Samaritan speech is when he's talking about, um, he's, he says sympathy and compassionate, but he's really talking about empathy. And I think the deeper you do this work, um, ideally, uh, the more empathy um, you have for, for other people and people who are trying to do the same work and how difficult um, it is, especially in the context of living through our own very, very tumultuous historical times. Um, so I think part of that has been has been being more um, centered. Uh, I have my own daily practice of of meditation and yoga. Uh, I mean, I've been practicing for over twenty years. So, um, but really trying to be more present, um, both with my family um, and and uh, my my personal life, in addition to the professional and the political um, responsibilities. President emeritus of World Vision, Rich Stearns. Well, I'll use my World Vision reference frame here. Um, World Vision has been a learning laboratory for now 70 years. So, And every year, the goal is to constantly improve approaches, techniques, uh, again, to address the root causes of poverty. And we went from a model of handouts in the 1950s when World Vision started, the idea of development was, you know, in its infancy. And so what you did is if children were hungry, you gave them food. If children were orphans, you built them an orphanage. Um, and, and so what evolution happened over the years is that we learned uh, from experience that um, the poverty wasn't going away with the handouts we were giving. And uh, so we kept asking the question, why, that I mentioned earlier, you know, why are these uh, people poor and why, uh, why don't they have these opportunities? And it eventually led to a model that 
got us to the root causes of poverty. And so we started to develop expertise in each one of those things. So in 1990, for example, World Vision didn't do much microfinance at all, you know, lending to the poor. Um, since then, uh, we have a massive microfinance institution. I think we loan out about a billion dollars in loan capital every year to more than a million clients. I think since its inception, we've given out something like 17 billion in loans to the poor so they could start their own businesses. But if you went back 30 or 40 years, we didn't have that capability at all. World Vision has now become the number one provider of clean water in the world. And um, again, if you went back 30 years, we were we didn't know much about providing clean water, but but you learn that the absence of clean water and sanitation is one of the root causes of poverty. I mean, if you don't have water uh, available that's safe to drink and wash and bathe in, and you don't have a toilet, uh, how are you going to start the next Apple computer <laughs> in your village? You know, I mean, you these basic things people have to have to live. And so one of the things that holds people back in, in extremely poor communities is the lack of clean water. So so World Vision had to become a jack of all trades um, because poverty is not one dimensional. And I know it's very popular for charities to just do one thing, you know, build houses or drill wells or feed the hungry. And yet those one things don't solve the problem, you know. And, and so I think it's really important for every nonprofit to be a learning organization that listens uh, to the people they're serving, right? Because the people you're serving and helping, they know, they probably know what they need. And it may not be, it may not be what you're giving them. Um, but they're going to be very polite and say, you know, if, if you want to give me this, well, we're going to be polite and we'll say yes and we'll take it. But I wish you would listen to us and hear what we really need. Because what we really need, we don't know how to get it. And if you could help us do that, that would be a big thing. Refugee Church Consultant with the International Association for Refugees, Pastor Jean-Pierre Guetera. <laughs> Always just listen. You need to listen. You don't need to go and dump what you have and think that it will work. But always you need to listen. You need to observe. And sometimes even to ask questions so that you may get them right as you are trying to just help them. Chief Executive Officer and Founder of Preemptive Love, Jeremy Courtney. A lot of reading and a lot of humble listening. Uh, trying to listen and, and center other voices and experiences than my own. Trying to take people at face value and let them describe what it's like to live in their shoes and live in their skin. And to try to not be defensive about that not be argumentative about that and just listen and let it shape me. Author and founder of Public Square Strategies, Michael Ware. There's so many, so many things. I, I, I think what I, what I pull out here is what we just talked about, which is um, that benefit of partnerships and um, the, the more willing you are to um, to share credit and share burdens, the the the, the farther you're going to be able to go in, in general. Um, and so, um, you know, 
my work is oriented around uh, a mission and a, and a and a way of thinking that does not require me. Um, and if your work is oriented around a mission, then you can be happy seeing that mission advanced uh, through your own efforts, but also through the efforts of others, which you can support. Um, and so, so, so that, that's been, that's been the emphasis for me over the last few years. Executive Director of Christians for Social Action, Nikki Toyama Setu. Yeah, I think the way that I've been learning to do good better is by having um, more curiosity about people that I initially overlooked. Therapist, expert, and author, Dr. Diane Langberg. Well, um, on one level, just professionally, I am a voracious reader, so I'm constantly reading about the topics and things like that. Um, I, I have a community of therapists in the practice, and so I learn from them and they learn from me. Uh, it's not solo work, I'll tell you that. Um, you get twisted up by it and harsh and all kinds of things. Um, and probably the bottom rock thing for me in that area is I'm up early every morning reading, studying scriptures. Um, I like I like a lot of the theologians that my staff refer to as old dead guys. <laughs> you know, the, the Scottish, English, whatever. I, those are often the ones that I read. And so I'm just constantly seeking food early in the morning. Vice President of Water at World Vision, Greg Allgood. You know, one of the things that uh, really fuels me is uh, spending time with the people that we serve. And um, you, you quickly learn that um, joy is not based on income. Um, joy and fulfillment is based on what's in your heart and, and, you know, with your family, loved ones and friends. And so they teach me an enormous amount. Uh, I really miss that during this time of the pandemic. Uh, we're doing it virtually, uh, but it's not the same, but, but it does help. And so uh, we're connecting with our field staff, with the people that we're serving and doing it in new ways. And the silver lining is that we're actually have been able to reach more people because not everybody can travel to an Africa or, or to an Asia or Central America. And so uh, we're able to reach more people during these times because of the use of technology. Executive Director of Healthcare Ready, Dr. Nicolette Lusaint. Setting boundaries for myself as a, a, a requirement for my ability to do my job well. Um, that may not be the direction that you were expecting me to go into, but part of what I've realized is that when they're, you know, as I, I often tell my, my staff, when the universe of needs is so great and you realize that there's so many different places um, where you can make impact, understanding where you should make impact becomes very difficult. It's different than when you're looking at something and saying, oh, this is obviously the thing I should do versus when you're looking and saying, well, there are seven things I could do and I could kind of do seven of them. I could do five of them well, but I probably only have the ability to do three. How do you really set up the guardrails that allow you to do that? Um, and for me, that's been really critical. And that's also given me the ability to find space and grace to find partners that can do the things that I can't. And given me the ability to elevate their very important work 
so that we're cumulatively making all of that impact, but not um, in a way that that drains any one of us or diminishes our ability to fulfill our ultimate missions. Executive Director of IJM Canada, Anu George Kanjanathopal. Every day, I wake up with a decision that I'm going to enjoy the most difficult parts of my work. Every day, it gets more difficult. But every day, I look back on the stories of restoration. And every day, I decide that tomorrow, I'd be better than today. That's what I do. Director of Climate Center and founder and CEO of Atmos Research, Catherine Hayhoe. I feel like I learn something every time I have a conversation with people or every time I give a talk somewhere and I hear questions from people. I still, today, many years later, listen very carefully to the questions I get. And what I've been noticing over the past two years is something very interesting. No matter where I was speaking and who I was talking to, I would be getting the same two questions rising to the surface. And these two questions that everybody wanted the answer to are, how do I talk to fill in the blank? How do I talk to my family member, my friends, my classmates, my coworkers, my elected official? How do I talk to them? And what gives you hope? So listening to those two questions, I turned it around and I started to ask people, what gives you hope? And I collected several hundred answers and analyzed them. And I found that what gives them hope was very similar to what gives me hope, which is knowing that there's other people doing things, that there really is a way forward, that there is a better future, that the boulder isn't just sitting at the bottom of a hill with a few hands on it, trying to, you know, roll it up the hill and we'll never get it there because we don't have enough people. The boulder is actually starting to roll down the hill and it's got millions and even billions potentially of hands on it, but it just isn't going fast enough. And so we have to make it go faster. And that sense of hope is just incredibly powerful. And I think it connects directly to what we learn in the Bible because in Romans, it talks about the origin of hope and it doesn't begin with good circumstances. It doesn't begin with things going your way. It doesn't begin with everything being rosy and bright. Hope according to the Apostle Paul, begins with suffering. And suffering leads to perseverance, and perseverance builds character. And ultimately, that is what gives us the hope that will not disappoint, because we have come to it through suffering, and our hope is ultimately, of course, placed in God. David Gunger, lead singer of The Brilliance. Do good better. Oh, I mean, so we have a, Telus has a thing called the Principles and Practices of Peacemaking. And it's a document that we worked on very hard, uh, labored over. It's years of work, but we really labored over during um, the quarantine, like putting this thing together. And it has been, um, it's a labor of love. It has really taught me a lot and specifically around <clears throat> different thing like putting into language different beliefs that i had that that are kind of like oh of, of course of course of course but um it brought me a lot of joy and it it's definitely been something that i go back to often author and founder of love beyond walls terence lester i think the the thing that i've been learning most that has given me the strength to endure uh, as a frontline worker, as a ministry worker, is 
staying vulnerable. Uh, I think vulnerability is a gift. Transparency is a gift. Um, there's a quote that one of my mentors used to say a long time ago. He says that uh, secrecy produces more weakness. Um, that if you open yourself up and then you 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 make known your uh, your your wrestling and your struggles, your triumphs and your joys, you know the bees and the honey, the rolls and the thorns. When you uh, bring all of those things together, then it gives you uh, the ability to stay to to remain grounded. And I, I would say that my vulnerability has been one of the things that I've leaned in. Uh, most to, even with my own self-care journey and uh, taking care of myself, you know, taking care of my family, as well as uh, trying to show up the best of my ability to to love, love my neighbor, you know, that the loving of self, the loving of God, the loving of self gives me the strength and the vulnerability and the courage to show up and be fully present for my neighbor. So I would, I would just say vulnerability. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. The chance to really hear from different people who have different experiences and you hear common themes as they answer this question, but you also see the variety. So may you be encouraged as you keep on seeking to do good better as we learn from others who in these conversations who are doing the same. I want to invite you to sign up for our newsletter, our Better Samaritan newsletter. It has a job board. It has curated material that can help you to keep on learning, keep being part of this community. I uh, also invite you to share this episode with a friend or many friends who would also be encouraged by the conversations that we're having here. Thanks for being with us. It's an honor to get to seek to be doing good better along with you. This episode was brought to you in part by The Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.